Praise the Lord, saints. Praise the Lord, Lord, saints. Praise the Lord. Good morning to you. I've given honor to God, to the minister on the roster, to all of you, my father's children. These are your announcements. I'd like to take this time to welcome you back um, to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Scanning the QR code located on the front of your worship guide allows you to connect to all online information about our church. The giving of tithes and offering along with our social media platform forms all in one place. Guests, please click on the menu items for first-time guests. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offering is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church online or you may mail a check to our address at 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, 35811. Or, the sur- <clears throat> sorry, or after the service, you may drop your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. Today, after worship, the Goodson Village Group will meet in the church house. Uh, we also have leadership training at 6 p.m. This week, Thursday, June 29th, Shipman's Men's Group at Just Love Coffee will meet. Um, the, the Goodsons will meet at 5, Good, Goodson, Goodson Men's Group We'll meet in the church house at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, 6.30, First Steps and Village Kids Family Movie Night will be um, this, again, 6.30 p.m., First Steps and Village Kids from Movie will be movie Night. Let me look at that date. And I, I believe that's going to be on Thursday, June 29th as well. Okay. And then Friday, June 30th, 6.30 a.m., the O'Neill Men's Group at Bridge Street Panera Bread. Next Sunday, July, July the 2nd, worship service, calendar planning meeting will be at 11 a.m. The, Brick, the Brickers Village Group will meet today after fellowship in the, uh, in the fellowship hall after service. These are your announcements. Please govern yourselves accordingly. Hey, sorry, real quick. Um, this wasn't scheduled, but uh, the garden is starting to produce um, produce, and every week I'm going to be coming early to harvest whatever is ready, and then I'm going to be putting it out there. Basically, a quick rundown. This year for the garden, we're not treating it as a ministry because we want it to be a long-term ministry. We want to establish it this year, and because of that, we don't have a long-term or a this-year plan of any ministry we're going to be giving the produce to or how we're going to be distributing it within the community at large. So basically that means whatever comes from the garden is extra, and we're going to be putting it out there for you guys and me to enjoy. Basically my thought is ideally you are going to eat it if you take it home. Um, I expect we're going to have more than enough, but still generally have the idea that you shouldn't be throwing this away. You shouldn't just be grabbing all of it for that reason. But if you have a plan for an entire bucket of tomatoes later this summer, feel free to take it. It's for you guys. Um, don't feel like you need to leave any leftover if you intend to use it. That's it. Thanks. Oh, thank you.
four.
Good morning, everybody. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Listen for the Word of God. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with the cords of a man with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts the yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. They will not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria, they, he will be their king, because they refuse to return to me. The sword will whirl against their cities and will demolish their gate bars and consume them because of their counsels. So my people are bent on turning from me, though they call them to the one on high. None at all exalts him. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk, they will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the, the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. The congregational prayer is printed in your bulletin. We're going to read it together. Let's pray. O great God, in public and in private, May my life be steeped in prayer. I enter your presence, worshiping you, godly creator, awed by your majesty, greatness, glory, but encouraged by your love. I have nothing with which to repay your mercy, but bring my faith in Jesus, pleading his righteousness to offset my iniquities, rejoicing that he will satisfy your judgment. Strengthen me to have no rest until Christ reigns supreme within me in every thought, word, and deed in a faith that purifies my heart and overcomes the world, works by love, and causes me ever cling to the cross. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to uh, thank y'all for praying for my son from his ACL surgery. He's recovering at home, though the nights have been very, very painful. So please continue to keep Tracy in your 
in your prayers and also me and Waikita too. So none of us are getting rest right now. So. The devil is in the details. Who knows the meaning of that anyway? It alludes to a catch or mysterious element that's hidden in the details of a law, uh, of a project, or a program, or some initiative. According to one dictionary, the phrase indicates that something may seem simple, but in fact the details are complicated and likely to cause problems. I want to offer y'all a similar but different idiom this morning. It says God's love is in the details. God's love is in the details. No matter how small or big the details may be, his love saturates all the details of our life. But do we believe it? Or do we believe it? If you have your Bible or your Bible app, please open it to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. The sermon text will be verses 5 through 11. That's Hosea chapter 11, verses 5 through 11. This morning I'm going to finish answering the question that I, I asked y'all a few weeks ago. And the question is this, what's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? What does God's love have to do with the details of our life? Hosea chapter 11 shows us that, that God's love has to do with the past, the present, and the future of his people. Your past, your present, and your future are all saturated with God's love for you. Please join me in asking the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are the one that has been given to live inside the hearts of, of all believers. To be our comforter, to be our advocate, to be our helper to be the one who reminds us of truth, to be the one who equips us to live faithfully, the one who convicts us and, and leads us to deeper level of, of repentance. The Holy Spirit, we can do nothing as Christians apart from your presence. We can't love God. We can't love our neighbor. We can't love ourselves apart from you working in us. So forgive us of our pride, O Spirit. Forgive us for the ways in which we take you for granted, O Spirit. Forgive us for our self-sufficiency, thinking that it's all about us and we got this when we really don't. So Holy Spirit, for the glory of our Lord and Savior and for our good and for our spiritual benefit, will you please move? Will you please give each of us the, the word that we need to hear? that you will speak into the areas of our life that, that, that are, that are, that's broken, that we try to hide from you? Will you remove the mask? Will you release the Kung Fu grip that we have over our life? 
Let us experience grace. Let us experience mercy. And I pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. The Hebrew term that's translated love in Hosea 11 is ahava. And ahava means to have affection for a person. It's to care for another individual. It is to act lovingly towards and to be loyal to. Avaha describes love in, in a broad sense, like brotherly and sisterly love, friendship love, parental love, relational love, mar- mar- marital love. In Hebrew, in Hosea 11, God's Avaha is described as a divine fatherly love. Divine fatherly love. And his Abaha has two expressions. First, it is expressed in real feelings and affections and, and emotions that, that God experiences for his people. That's the one expression. And the second expression is, is, is the actions and deeds towards his people. God's Abaha is both affection and action. Not either are but both and. And as a result, the same should be reflected, that same Abaha should be reflected in his people. His people are those who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. And, and in Jesus, his people can Abaha him and Abaha their neighbors as themselves. We love. Why? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. TBC Saints and Guests, Abaha is what the Lord God freely chooses to do. You gotta, that's something we have to embrace. He freely chooses to love without requiring his people to earn his favor, to earn his affection, to earn his loyalty. He does so not even because his people deserves his love. He does. Because Avaha flows from who he is. Love is part of his character. It drips from his heart. That's why Avaha, that's why his Avaha is steadfast. That's why his Avaha is faithful. That's why his Avaha is patient. That's why his love is corrective. That's why his love endures forever. One Old Testament scholar says God's Abaha is unconditional love. It's a sovereign love, a love in spite of, and an overplus love. I love that description. What about y'all? God's love, his Abaha is big. I mean, it's huge. And it has everything to do with all the details of our life, our past life, our present life, and our future life. His Abaha is in all the details. In verses in Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, God's Abaha is seen in all the details of Israel's past. I preached on this a few weeks ago. He was a faithful, good, and faithful father to them, and a good father to them. Are you able to see God's love 
in the past details of your life. Are you able to see it? In your past ups and your past downs. In your past successes and your past failures. In your past pains and your past joys. In your past pride and your past meekness. In your past victories and your past losses. In your past traumas and your past breakthroughs. Can you see God's love in the details of our past that's filled with shades of gray? Can we see it? Let's be honest with ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to see God's love in the past details of our life. Would y'all agree with that? Some of us can't, can't see because our past is just a testimony of our goodness and, and our achievements and our hard works. And, you know, it's the self-righteous receipts that, that we keep. And it's hard to see God's love in a past life that's all about self. Others, others of us, we, we don't want to revisit our past because of the horrible things that happened to us and or because of the horrible things we did. It's hard to see God's love in a past that's, that's filled with abuse and, and abandonment. It's hard to see God's love in, in a past that's filled with a lot of regrets and a lot of poor choices. And here's something that we really need to, to wrap our ha- arms around. Saving faith in Jesus isn't a magical eraser that's going to erase our past. Please know that. Saving faith in Jesus is not, a, is not a magical eraser that's going to erase our past. What happened to us happened to us. What we did, we did. Our attitude was our attitude. But faith in Christ, it actually becomes the lens through which we view our past. It gives us deliverance to stop blaming ourselves for what other people's sin did to us. Faith in Jesus gives us the freedom to forgive others and ourselves. It gives us the boldness to even hold other people accountable and to even seek justice. Faith gives us the courage to finally ask for help for past trauma. Please understand, therapy and counseling will be needed to help some of us work through issues of our past. Past issues that recreated and past issues created in our life because of the sins of other people. There's no shame in asking for help. God can use Christians. He can even use non-Christians to help us see his other heart in the past details of our life. So what does God's love have to do with our past? The answer is everything. The answer is everything. Even if we can't see it, he has faithfully, loved each of us in our past. But do we believe it? And if we can't see it, reach out for help. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. I want each of you to close your eyes for a moment. It's going to seem a little weird, but I want you to do it anyway. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine that your mind is a is a projector, kind of like the one up here. This mental projector is going to display a, sli- a slideshow a slideshow filled with images of the people in your life. 
Each image is a face of a person you love. Let the, let the slideshow run on the loop. Who are the faces you see? Who are the people that have your avaha? Who are the people you express love and affection and actions towards? Again, let the images run on loop. How has each person in your mental slideshow responded to your avaha? How do you want them to respond to your love and affection and love and actions? You can open your eyes now. Each of us have a desire for the people we love to respond to our love in a certain way. And is that, do you agree or disagree? And that certain way can be respect. It could be appreciation. It could be reciprocation. If we as created creatures desire certain responses from the people we love, then how much more a loving, holy God? The Lord God desires a certain response to his avaha from his people. From his people from the people from his people in the past, from the people in the present, and from in the northern kingdom in the book of Hosea, and for his people that's sitting here in the sanctuary this morning who have saving faith in Christ. And the response that he desires from his people is expressed in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses four and five. These two verses are known as the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that Calls God's people to respond to his Abaha with devotion and faithfulness. The Shema is a prayer that the Israelites of the past would pray daily. And some, some Jews still pray it today. The Shema says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. God's people are called to respond to his avaha with honor and reverence for who he is. Amen? Who is he? The Lord our God is one. With undivided devotion and faithfulness to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with your whole being. We're to respond with, to his love with our own love of loving affections and actions towards him. I know sometimes it's hard to think God actually has expectations of us in Christ. Yes, he does. Because we're not robots. Because in Christ we can love him back. Something that we couldn't do before. But when we look at our life, what is our response to his unconditional love, his sovereign love, his in spite of love, his overplus love? And sometimes our response doesn't always meet his expectations. The Shema prayer isn't always true in the functional ways in which we live our life. Think about the people you love. Do they always respond to your love the way that you want them to respond? Come on now. Be honest. Kids, do your parents always respond to your love the way that you want them to respond? Parents? Spouses? Or do y'all have perfect kids and perfect spouses? No, the answer is no. We do not. 
we as Christians don't always respond to God's love the way that he wants us to. And the same is true for us. The same is true for the Israelites in the northern kingdom. And the same is true for the Israelites of the past. The Shema is our confessional response to God's love. Confessional is when we sing about God's love. We're, we're confessing that we love him. But our functional response and all, don't always match our confessional response. And our functional response is expressed in the hymn, O Confound of Every Blessing, where it says in Sansa 3, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I say I love. That's our functional response. Wandering away is often our functional response to God's Abba But do y'all believe it? Do y'all see it? Do I see it? Please know all God's people are prone to wander from him. That's universally true for all Christians for all time, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of nationality, regardless of economic status. We all wander. We're prone to leave the God we confessionally say we love. The Israelites are old, did it? We do it. We all do it. The Israelites are old. They left the arms of a loving father and ran into the arms of a false father. When you read Old Testament history, that's what you see. Look at, look at verse 2. It says, the Lord said, the more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the veils and burning offerings to idols. And like the Israelites of the past, the present ones in the northern kingdom are prone to wander from the Lord as well. He says this in verses 7, 5 through 7. The northern kingdom is just like their ancestors. They refuse to return to the Lord their God. That's what verse 5 says. They refuse to repent of their idolatry. They refuse to turn away from their idolatry. And in verse 7, the Lord says, My people are bent on turning away from me. But what does that mean, Pastor? They are prone to wonder. They're prone to wonder. Prone to wonder from him and to idolatry. And please know, this is true for all Christians for all time. I don't care the platform. I don't care what celebrity Christian you follow. That pump, that person wonders from God too. One of my favorite devotionals is New Morning Mercies, written by uh, Paul David Tripp. And the one written on June 27th, June 22nd, uh, he says, What is it then that we're talking about when we say that we're all worshipers? Well, this means we all attach our identity, our hopes, our dreams, our innocence of well-being, our meaning and purpose to something. We give the functional control of our hearts to something. We live after something. We tend to surrender to and serve whatever we think will give us life. He continues. Scripture says that there are only two possible objects of our worship at the street level. No matter your theology is 
You're either worshiping the creator, surrendering your life to him, or you are in active worship of some part of his creation. Sin reduces us all to idolaters in some way. We put ourselves, other people, and other things in God's rightful place. How are we putting ourselves in God's rightful place? How are we putting other people in God's rightful place? How are we putting other things in God's rightful place? The Israelites are old, are putting a, a Canaanite deity, Baal, in God's rightful place, giving him all the praise and honor and glory for Yahweh's blessings. God is doing it, but they're giving the credit to a false god. And the same is true for, for the Israelites in Noah's day. They're putting Baal in God's rightful place. They're putting prosperity and power in God's rightful place. They're putting military strength in God's rightful place. They put false prophets and priests in God's rightful place. They're putting domestic politics and foreign politics in God's rightful place. What about us? We cannot look back on these Old Testament saints and think, we would, we, we're doing better than them. No, we're not. So what does God's love have to do with the present tense of his people's lives who are prone to wander from him into idolatry? For the northern kingdom, it means his love is going to be expressed in discipline, correction, and even judgment for them. The northern kingdom, they refuse to return to God through confession and repentance. And their unrepentant sin causes them to lose their land and their kingdom and their freedom. The Lord will send them into exile because they continually refuse to return to him. This is what he says in verse 5 by asking two rhetorical questions. The NIV, captured, the NIV translation captures this in the translation of verse 5. The Lord says, Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? The answer is yes and yes. Exile is coming for the northern kingdom, and it will feel like they are returning to Egypt. And the Lord will use Assyria to do this. A, a bloody war between the northern kingdom and Assyria is probably already taking place right now in history. And this war will bring the Israelites to their knees. Destruction is coming. Death is coming. Their military defenses won't save them. The counsel from their false prophets will let them down. Look at verse 7. The sword rage against their cities, consumes the bars of their gates, devours them because of their own counsel. All the human efforts cannot save them, and neither were their false gods. Baal cannot save them from the Assyrians. The false deity can't stop Yahweh Elohim. Please know that. None of your idols can stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life. Yeah, they can't. His plans will always come to pass in our lives. Verse 7 in the New English translation says, My people are obsessed with turning away from me. They called to Baal, but he would never exalt them. Why can't he? Because he's not real. That's why. Yeah. 
I know this is hard to hear. It's even hard to visualize. It might even be hard for some of us to even accept. But 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 here's a, here's the truth. It is it won't be comfortable when God's love expresses itself in discipline and judgment. It doesn't. It doesn't. It won't. It, it won't feel like love. It will hurt, and it's okay to admit that. Kids and youth, give Pastor Alex your attention. I have an important question for y'all. Are y'all ready? Raise your hand if you're ready. All right, here's the question. When your parents discipline you, do you, do you does it feel like love? Depends on the discipline. Does it feel like love in that moment? No, it doesn't. You're not going to look at your parents and say, another one, please. I'll take another week of time out. Another week of being grounded. I'll take another spanking, please. No, they're not going to say that. Discipline hurts. Timeouts hurts. Consequences hurt. Judgment hurts. Even accountability hurts. Genuine human, please understand that genuine human love graciously holds people accountable for their words and actions. And if that is true of us, how much more is it true of a holy God? What does God love have to do with the present tense of our lives? What does it have to do with our continued struggles with sin? In love, he holds us accountable. In our heart, he disciplines us. In our heart, he lets us experience the natural consequences of our sinful actions. And in love, he would never disown or abandon us. But do we believe it? And what does his love have to do in the present tense of our life when we're struggling or hurting because of the sins of other people. Because sometimes people just haven't sinned against us in the past. They sin against us right now. Some of us have been hurt right now. What does God's love do with that? As I said earlier, my son had ACL surgery. And the past two nights have been horrible. I gotta tell you, there's no hope, there's nothing worse than feeling as hopeless as a parent when your child is suffering and you can't fix it. All I could do is hold him and tell him, I'm here and I love you. I'm not going nowhere. There are things that we're gonna go through in life, and God is gonna do the same to you. I'm here, I'm with you, I'm not going nowhere. That's how his love helps us in in things that we deal with that we're not the cause of. He is there. He's down in it with you. That's what he does. So So we just can't think about God's love coming in discipline because of sin, but his love is there in comfort in our suffering, in our hardships. The same way that you would comfort a spouse or a child or a loved one in their pain and hurt, and you sit with them in it, you doing that is just a reflection of what God does for you. Remember, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. All the loving things that we do for those that are hurting is just a reflection of what God has already been doing since the beginning of the world. We get that from him. We get that desire from him. 
So if you're hurting or if you're suffering or if you're grieving, and if you can't sense God's presence, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes so you can see. See, the Father is embracing you. Like I was embracing Tracing last night in his suffering. You got to visualize this stuff. That God is always holding you. Always holding you. That was even in my notes. Thank you, Spirit. So back to the Northern Kingdom. So for them, this love has been, again, this love has been expressed in, in discipline. But it is not so much discipline that he's going to disown them. Do you think the Northern Kingdom stopped being God's people in exile in Assyria? Do you think he, that they no longer was his people? They were still his people. They were just scattered. Professor Christopher Wright says, the father-son relationship between God and Israel contained within itself an element of permanence, which injected hope into an otherwise hopeless situation. Wrath, exile, and loss of land would not be permanent. Yahweh would not abandon his people. The father could not ultimately disown his sons and daughters. These words from the professor means that there is a future hope and restoration for the Israelites who make up the northern kingdom. God's Abaha has everything to do with the future of his people for all time. And this is what we see in verses 8 through 11. In verses 8 through and 9, Yahweh is a lamenting father in those two verses. Think about that. Take take that to heart. You see, good parents don't find pleasure and joy in disciplining their kids. They're not going to set up the TikTok thing and whoop you and put it all over social media. That's not what good parents do. And so if, if good parents don't take pleasure in disciplining their kids, why would God? He does not. Look at what he says in verse 8. How can I give you up, O Israel? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Amal? How can I treat you like Zeboam? Those are loving words. Notice the pronouns. What is God saying when he says exile and judgment and punishment and discipline doesn't mean I'm giving you up. Doesn't mean I'm going to abandon you to Assyria. Doesn't mean I'm going to completely destroy you with divine wrath. Exile would not be the end of Israel's history with the Lord. Now we do know the Northern Kingdom does fall to Assyria in 722 BC. That's in history. It would not be restored. But yet the people themselves would not be completely destroyed. Why is that the case? It's because God is a God of mercy and of compassion in the midst of judgment. You know the cross is justice and compassion together, right? In verse 8 and 9, God's love and holiness come together. His mercy and judgment come together. Look at verse 9. It says, my heart recalls within me. 
My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning wrath. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. These verses point beyond themselves to an eschatological future. A future where God will one day restore Israel. Verses 10 through 11. He says, they will go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from the land of Egypt. I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Notice, he is going to return them. They're not going to return themselves. He's going to do that. When will this happen? How will this happen? When will they come from, from Egypt and Assyria? Who fulfills this promise? Who fills up what is happening here? In Matthew chapter 2, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And this angel of the Lord says to Joseph, Take, rise, and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph, he gets up and he takes um, baby Jesus and, 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 and his wife Mary by night, and they depart to Egypt, and they remain there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Who was that prophet? Who's who, who the prophet Matthew's talking about? That's Hosea. Those words quoted by Matthew, are from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus is that son. Jesus is the true Israel who perfectly does what the Israelites could never do. Jesus does what God's people can't do for themselves. He fulfills all the requirements of God's law through his perfect obedience. And he satisfies God's wrath towards sin through his death on a cross. And he fully defeats sin and death through his resurrection. Out of Egypt I have called my son. The birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus are all expressions of God's Abaha for us. What do we believe that? Romans 5 8. And while we were sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, and Christ died for us. So we be, and when we're struggling to believe that God loves us, remember the gospel. And if you can't remember the gospel, call Pastor Alex. And I'll tell you the gospel, but sometimes when you call me, I may say, I don't remember it either. Then we may need to call somebody else. Because we forget. We forget. There's a hymn that says, probably one of my favorite hymns, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How Vast. Beyond all measure, 
that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which marred the chosen one brings many sons and daughters to glory. That's what, God, that's what love has to do with us. It brings us into his glory. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for your sovereign love, your unconditional love, your in spite of love, your overplus love, that it flows abundantly. It's hard understanding a God who is fully loved and fully holy at the same time, God who is fully just and, and a God who is fully merciful at the same time, but that's who you are. It's not confusing to you. You're just being God. You don't know what it's like not to be God. So my prayer for each of us that in our good days, bad days, we will see that you are good and faithful. That no matter the circumstances, no matter what has happened to us, no matter what will happen to us, help us to know, be able to see that you are still Emmanuel. That you are a father who is with us always. Even when we're under discipline, you are doing it out of love. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that whatever things that we're going to face this week, whatever that we're going to encounter, help us not to lose hope. Help us not to, um, to, to, to fully forget. And if we do forget, help us to give us the humility to reach out to brothers and sisters who can remind us, thus says the Lord. Pray for all of this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Saints, will you please stand as we close our service?